So I'm going to read a scripture to begin here and, and then ask that we might join together according to this word. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godly reverence. And before even coming to the church, I felt that we should pray together for the, especially for the leadership of Russia and Eastern Europe and the main powers at this time, both in Europe and on this side of the ocean, so that uh, these events which God is, God's hand is moving so strongly in that part of the world. I mean, barriers are coming down, societies are, are totally transforming, and uh, this whole ideology looks like it's crumbling. It's held people in bondage for so long. But we need to pray for those leaders that God's hand will be on them, that mistakes won't happen, counter-revolutions, and, or any of these things, well, that we may live in peace. So if you'll join with me, let's bow our heads and pray for these people. Hallelujah. Lord, we just witnessed, Father, we just stand in awe of the things that you're doing in Eastern Europe, Lord, and in Russia, and those parts of the world, Lord God. Father, we pray that you keep your hands on those leaders, Lord. Hold back, Lord, the ones who would uh, be reactionary and violent, Lord God. Uh, uh, cause peace to prevail and give your wisdom where, where it's needed, Lord, that there may be a peaceable transformation, Lord God. And above all, Father, just open up, we pray, those countries to your gospel, let there be a revival breakout. Let your word be like uh, power and fire, Lord God, that it would just revolutionize in a genuine way. Where they tried according to the flesh and got nowhere. Father, let the revolution of your Holy Spirit and the preaching of Jesus Christ Lord, set those hearts ablaze, Father. And let your gospel be preached so powerfully, Lord, that it does well up out of those countries and sweep over all the earth, or even this country too. Pray that your grace would be there with that leadership and all those new leaders, Lord, that they may have your wisdom, that your hand would hold those places in safety, we pray. We ask for peace, Father, in Jesus' name. We praise you. Amen. Amen. Uh, it's wonderful what God is doing in the earth. When his hand moves, there is no man that can stop it. These countries, their governments are transformed so fast that nobody can, can hardly comprehend it. All the experts were confounded. Nobody expected, in or out of government, expected these communist nations to just completely fall apart in their ideology and have a total transformation of government. You know why they didn't expect it? Because they don't know who rules. They didn't know God was going to do that. But as soon as God determined to do that, it changed. His hand just swept through. He is almighty. And he can do that at any time, any place. Thank you, Lord. Bless your word, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Well, I want to continue with this scripture because it really leads right into the message this morning. After exhorting us to pray for all these men, verse 3 goes on and says, For this is good and acceptable 
in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He's to be testified in due time. Uh, I have a question for you, but first I want to preface it with a, uh, a little bit of an apology, maybe a half of an apology, because, uh, because I'm not sure how, how uh, far I went you know, in, in what I did. But uh, I was uh, made aware last week uh, something happened where, uh, you know, I overheard someone sharing something in a, in, a, in a way, and it offended me. And I was about to, ready to speak to that person and, and kind of reprove them a little bit because I didn't feel right about how they were sharing some of the things of the Lord. And I sat in my office for just a moment, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, uh, well, isn't that the same thing you did a couple weeks ago? I just went, yeah, I think it is. Uh, and so without drawing it out too far, uh, the scripture that applies, I think, uh, no matter how sincere we are, God knows our hearts, you know. But the scripture says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord. And I realized that... Uh, the, that I had kind of slipped a little bit. My personality, my natural personality, in the world got to be kind of intense and competitive. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd yell during football games and I'd say, let's get him, let's go, you know, all this kind of stuff. And especially if things started to slow down, you know, then I was on the team and I was going, come on, come on, you know, champions never let down, you know, all this stuff, you know. So I had this intense uh, area of my soul. And... Uh, but what I've learned is that the intensity, the wrath of man, the, the chemical part of man does not work the righteousness of God. You know, so uh, whenever I preach, I don't want my personality to come out. I want, I want to preach Christ Jesus, the Lord. I want his personality, his, his power and his word by the Holy Spirit to come forth. So... Uh, so just so that you're aware of that, you know, God has showed me that from time to time. It's not, uh, it's fine to get intense and get high in the spirit and to speak, but it has to stay in the spirit. It shouldn't be mixed with my, my personality. So, uh, amen, let's just go ahead and try and stick in the word of God now. I have a question to ask you of you. Uh, it's a rhetorical question. It's just to sort of get us to thinking along a certain line. And the question is this. Now, on a human level, think for a moment, if you would, of the, of the single human being that you most love and esteem. Okay? Maybe it would be a father, a mother, uh, wife, husband. Oh, even uh, one of your children. But think for a moment of the person on the human level that you most love and, and admire and esteem. Now, of course, they're going to have faults because everybody's a human being. But aside from any questions of faults, 
Who do you love? Has the easiest time saying that person. I really feel this way about. And now imagine if some sleazy salesman type came up next to you and just started saying all kinds of foul things about this person. You know, just running them down, just telling you what a creep they are, and you don't even you had don't even suspect what. They, how would you feel about that? I, I don't think you'd feel real good. I don't think you'd be very receptive to that sort of uh, message. doesn't matter. I don't care what mistakes that person's made. You wouldn't listen to that kind of stuff for a second. And uh, <clears throat> I want to speak this morning about a conspiracy. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. Now, in most things, I am not a conspiratorial theorist. I don't believe that, that there are too many conspiracies. Some people think there's a conspiracy to take over the world by this that. Well, there are some conspiracies like that, but there's others that are just fabrications. You know, people imagine them. But there is a conspiracy in the heavenly realm. And there is a group of intelligent beings that have gathered together and put their minds together to try to oppose God. In chapter 2 here it says, Paul says, uh, That we speak wisdom among those who are mature, speaking of uh, fellow Christians, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. And we speak of principalities and powers over different parts of the world. It's wise, it's right to do. But as we speak of these things that we need to know about so that we're aware of the warfare, we've got to be aware of what the Word of God says. They are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. See, God has planned this all along. He's planned every bit of it. Including some of the trials and tribulations we have to go through in order to be purified and formed in Christ. God planned it before this world began. He knew what you were going to be going through this last week, this last month, this last year. He knew it before this earth was made. And he purposed that he would lead us through whatever we had to go through in order to be purified, in order to raise up for himself a legion of sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. Sons and daughters of the living God. That would live for him and live with him forever. That he would fellowship with us in, in the spirit of his son. But there are spirits who know nothing of this and who are opposed to it and who conspire purposely against it. Because it says in verse 8, it says, This wisdom is something that none of the rulers of this age 
knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they'd have dreamed what God had in mind through this, they'd have never conspired to put Jesus to death. Now let's look in Mark 12 and see what Jesus himself said about this conspiracy. He told a parable that nailed the conspirators. They knew he was talking about them. Verse 1 of chapter 12, he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. This is what Jesus was speaking to these people. He set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. I can see him starting to get into the story. You know, they lean forward, they don't know what's coming. Now, at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him, sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent them another servant, and at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head. Sent him away, shamefully treated. And again, he sent another to him that killed. And many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, killed him, cast him out. There is a conspiracy against the Son of God, against Jesus Christ. There is a conspiracy against God that exists in the heavenly realms among the spirits that dominate this world, this age. They conspire against Jesus. And this conspiracy, this oppression, manifests over and over and over again in different ways. We just got word, and I didn't know if, I, if we'd met this brother or not, a brother Abraham in India, I read recently, was stoned to, get, to death for preaching the gospel near one of the cities in northern India. We hear word of persecutions of Christians in different parts of the world. Now, the communist world is being broken up uh, by the hand of God, but there's been heavy persecutions against Christians in that realm for many years. There's a conspiracy against Christ. Let's look in the book of Acts. It's no accident that you go through what you go through for being a Christian. Book of Acts in chapter 4. Beginning at verse 10. Now, uh, this is part of the 
sermon that Peter preached this time. He says, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other. Here's the key. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. And there is no salvation in any other. But there is a conspiracy against this name. Listen to what the Sanhedrin said among themselves. They were afraid to speak publicly at this time, it says in verse 14, because the man who had been healed was standing with them. They could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what should we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. That from now on they speak to no man in this name. They called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach at the name of Jesus. There's a conspiracy. Next chapter, chapter 5. The apostles did not stop speaking and teaching in the name of Jesus. So the issue came up again. They were arrested again and brought before the Sanhedrin. And a teacher uh, named Gamaliel warned the Sanhedrin, be careful about opposing this at this stage. And so they backed off a little bit, but they did this. It starts in verse 40. It says, they agreed with him, with Gamaliel. And then when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, now they're past words, now they're into beatings. When they had beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So, you know what the apostles did? They departed from the presence of the council, all beat up. They departed from their presence, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. They were glad. They rejoiced. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They rejoiced that they had been beaten for the name of Jesus. But what I want to point out is there is a conspiracy against making that There is a conspiracy and there is a pressure and there is a mentality that keeps saying, don't you say that name. Don't you preach this man. It's always in the air. It's always on the earth. It's always pressing upon God's people. Don't you say anything about it. Don't talk about him. We're speaking of a conspiracy among beings that are far more powerful than presidents or kings that influence this whole earth, constantly saying, don't talk about it. Don't say anything. 
Why? Why? Because it's this name. It is this name that is the only source of salvation for everyone on the earth. Through the name of Jesus Christ and the story of the gospel, what he has done at the cross, it is the only hope that mankind has. The only thing that delivers souls from hell. And yet there's a conspiracy to silence God's people. Silence them. Just do anything. Don't let them speak. Make them embarrassed. Make them afraid. Make them hold back. Just anything, but don't let them talk about Jesus. That's the only thing that will set men and women free from sin. There's one mediator, one name under heaven, whereby we must be saved. Now, David faced this, and we'll speak about that a little bit later. But the other day, I want to mention, let's turn to Romans chapter 5. We live in a pressurized place that I believe God means to break wide open. Chapter 5 and verse 20. The word of God is such a comfort and such a strength to us, to me. Moreover, the Bible says, the law entered that the offense might abound. But listen to this. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. We live in a sinful place. This city is one of the strongholds of sin for this country, for this North American continent, and for much of the world. It's a stronghold sending out sin, sin, sin. There's a lot of sin in this, in this town. And a lot of defiance about it. Sometimes, driving back in, I, I, I get those feelings like Ann mentioned this morning. Man, this place, what am I doing here? Serving the Lord. That's what I'm doing here. That's what you're doing here. But sometimes you get those feelings driving back in. That's, this place is heavy pressure. There's a lot of sin. And then comes this scripture. It says, oh yeah, but where there's a lot of sin, grace is even more abounding. It's more intense. There's more of it for you. There's more to lift you up. More to keep you going and more to restore and heal you whenever you need it. There is so much more grace than there is sin that we can't even measure it. All the grace is there. What does this say? Look, look, I'll prove it. Read it yourself. Where sin abounded, what? Grace abounded much more. Much more grace. So if you want to live a life of grace... Serve the Lord where there's a lot of pressure and a lot of sin. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. But I believe there is that purification going on. And I want to speak this morning especially about a particular way of meeting it, walking through it, and partaking, participating in the the glorious sense of victory that Jesus has. And you know what it is? 
how to do it. How to walk into this glorious sense of victory. When the Holy Spirit leads you, you open your mouth and preach the gospel. You open that old mouth of yours and you tell somebody about Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and I, I'm going to ask Robin to give a testimony of a revelation that God just kind of laid on her. You know, the Bible says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to try and get my place in this world and with the people of this world by keeping shut up. I'm not going to live like that. I'm going to let the gospel come out. And I'm going to let what happens, happens because it's in God's hands. There's going to be somebody that's going to get saved. And then there's going to be somebody that will beat me up. I don't want them to beat me up, but I'm not worried about it. If they do, okay, God, let it happen. He'll give me grace. There's a lot of, there's a big sin right there on it. He'll give me more grace. Amen. He will. He will. Worst I've had is people threaten me. I had one guy pour a beer on my head in the park. I haven't suffered, I haven't shed blood. Yeah. I'm not going to try and provoke that, but if God allows it, then by His grace, okay, He'll give me grace to go through it. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Robin, can I get you to testify about what God showed you? First of all, if you don't know how to meditate on the Word, if you've never meditated on the Word, get a hold of Steve's teaching from the Bible class or whatever, or ask God to show you. I have, after 16 years, finally, I know how to meditate on the Word of God. I'm learning. It's wonderful. I memorize the scripture, <clears throat> for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I was meditating on it. I was thinking about it. I was picking it apart in my brain. And first of all, what the Lord showed me was, we talk a lot about lifestyle evangelism and, you know, living a good life before our neighbors. And that's good. We have to. We shouldn't be horrible in front of our neighbors. But if we never preach the gospel to them, they might never hear it. And what God showed me was, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That is what is the power. You know? That is the power. Our good life is good. You know, our wonderful way that we walk before our neighbors is all wonderful and good. But the gospel of Christ is the power. That's what saved me. The gospel of Christ saved me. My, nobody was being real, you know, wonderful in front of me or doing anything nice for me. They preached the gospel to me. The second part was, for I am not ashamed. And what the Lord showed me about that is, Jim Durkin teaches us, and we hear it a lot. Do the word, do the word, practice the word, practice the word. And I've always seen that as like an outward, I love you, sister. You know, I love you. I love, let me do this for you. Or let me, you know, that's how I was always doing the word. But even our attitudes, just what's inside, what nobody sees. For I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. That's an attitude. Being ashamed is an attitude that God wants to change. Part of practicing the word is having the attitudes of God. And one of the attitudes is not being ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I prayed, Lord, change me. Change my attitude. Help me not to be ashamed, especially in front of my, my Jewish family. You know, the gospel was to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And with that scripture, I went to my parents' house 
And I was able to open up to my brother. Not, I didn't preach the whole gospel to him. I'm not there yet. But I was able to ask him if he needed prayer. I was able to share scripture with him where I couldn't ever do that before. I couldn't even open my mouth. So just meditating on the word and letting it change me has really did a lot. So praise God. You know, it's funny, but so much, I'm just going to tell you this, so much of the devil's warfare is directed at that one single point. See, he even doesn't mind if there's a few churches here and there, a few people saved, and they kind of, they're going to go to heaven. He can't stop it. There's nothing he can do about it. If only they will just keep quiet about it. That's the point of his attack, his suffocation, his oppression against sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the point that he attacks your mind upon. Just keep it quiet. Don't say it. That's what he wants from you. There's a conspiracy. It comes through the television. It comes through movies. It comes through newspapers. It comes through comments constantly. It comes through name-calling and slander. And the whole point is to get you to shut up. Oh, they won't like it. They won't like you. Just be quiet and let your life show it. Well, that's like, it's good to let your life show it. We're supposed to, but that's like a seedless fruit. You know what a fruit is? The Bible says, Jesus said, that you will be my disciples by bearing much fruit. That's how you'll glorify my Father. Fruit is a seed. A seed that's surrounded by good, nutritious food. That's what fruit is. But it's the, the, the good, nutritious food, whether, whether it's a peach or a grain of wheat, is not the only reason that seed. It's what's inside that's going to grow into a new plant. That's the point of a fruit. So to live your life and not speak the word is like having the fruit. People will eat the fruit and it'll help them a little bit. But the seed of the word of God will not cleanse their hearts so that they can be saved and partake of Christ forever. They'll just eat your fruit and you know what they'll do? And this is sickening. Glorify you. They'll glorify you. They'll think you're such a nice person, such a wonderful person. Boy, that stinks. I'm not a nice person. I can prove it, but I don't want to. I proved it enough in my past life. You know, just take my word for it. In myself, I'm not, and you're not, and that's okay. Because it's Christ who now lives in us. It's Christ who wants to come through us. And it's the word of Christ, the word of Jesus, that's going to set men free. Okay, that's, that's the power. Like Robin was saying, the power of God is the gospel. And you say to yourself, oh, I don't want to just tell that same. They probably heard it a million times. They think I'm hokey, you know. I don't want to actually say those words. You know what, Jesus Christ, uh, he died on the cross for your sins. Oh, they'll tell me they don't believe in sin. Oh, they'll say, how could dying on a cross? And you know what? If you give place to that, you will rob them of the only, I mean the only source of power 
save them eternally. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is what? The power of God. Given through the foolishness of preaching. I look like a fool at times. I'm aware of that. So was David. Let's read about it. Here in Psalm uh, 119, there's an instance, but he was not ashamed. It says in verse 46, 119 verse 46, David is just in the spirit praising God and praying these things. He said, I will speak of your testimonies also before kings. All right, these powerful, educated, high-minded rulers of the earth and will not be ashamed. I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also will I lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. And I'll talk about it, he said, before the kings of earth. Show me the king of Persia. Let's have an international conference with the king of Greece and the king of Egypt and the king of Assyria. And you know what I'll tell them about? The testimonies of the Lord my God are what contains the whole truth. The testimonies of the living God of Israel. I will not be ashamed, David said. In 2 Samuel, he lived this out. Chapter 6. When they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, they learned to worship it back. See, worship their way back. Praise and worship God every step of the way. To open up the right way to, to bring the journey of God's ark. Containing his covenant and his words. Back to its rightful place. But as they walked the ark back. Going step by step. Verse 14 of chapter 6 says that David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Verse 16 and as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, that was David's wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. She was into being sophisticated now. She was a king's daughter, you know, and a king's wife. And now she's not into anything undignified. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had built for it. He made offerings, okay. Verse 20, then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, I can't imitate her voice inflections, you know. You need a real snotty actress. How glorious was the king of Israel today? Uncovering himself today in the eyes, he took his shirt off and he danced before God. In the eyes of the maids of his servants. As one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. The, the rabble, you know, the low, scummy class does that, King David. Boy, you really embarrassed us here. So David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. 
And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. He said, I will be humbled in my own sight. I will not regard my own dignity. But I will worship and praise God. See, in order to be free to really worship God, you need to forget your, your own dignity. You need to just worship Him. It's part of getting free to do that, to pour out your heart to Him. Not be self-conscious. Not be worried whether you're going to be embarrassed if somebody's watching you, or whether you're doing it right. Are your hands like this, or should I put them like this? Or, or maybe turn them like this. You know, I don't know. Suppose somebody sees me, you know, they're the wrong way. Like, no, no, no. You do it unto the Lord. Let your heart and your spirit just be free unto Him. David knew that. He said, look, I'm going to be humble in my own sight. And I'm going to be even more undignified. But you know what? I will not be ashamed of the testimony of God before the kings of the earth or anyone. I'll speak of Him. I'll bear testimony to my God, no matter who it is. And that's the same attitude and the same spirit that we need to have, we must have, for the preaching of the gospel. If, we don't, if they don't have a preacher, how are they going to hear and believe? If they don't believe, how are they going to be saved? They can't. You and I have to preach the gospel with words, with our mouth, as well as with our lives. I'm telling you, I believe it's a false teaching. To tell people, just live your lives, and that'll do the preaching of the gospel. That's false. The Word of God doesn't say that. Live your lives, yes. That's absolutely true. But that's not enough. Because the Word of God says, open your mouth. Speak the name of Jesus. Preach what He has done. You're going to see people set free. I'm telling you, it's one of the most marvelous things. You really feel like when you see somebody receive Christ... There's been times, I'll tell you, I, I've sat in the car and witnessed to somebody, and I'm just thinking, oh, man, I know that I'm just wasting time, you know, probably. I'm just making such a, I'm just, what am I doing, you know? That's just probably useless if the person is just thinking I'm a freak, you know, and wants to get out of here, you know, and they're being polite. And I'm just banging their ear and just, man, what am I doing? Just wasting time doing this. And then, and then I go at the end of it. You want to pray? Receive and ask Jesus into your heart. And the guy turns around and says, Yes. And I go, What? Oh. Well, I mean, I'm the most surprised. Sometimes I'm ashamed to say this, you know, that I've been absolutely astonished. God, I was so completely out of it, not spiritual at all, like you might imagine, you know, well, you've got to be real spiritual to get out there and witness. I was so unspiritual, it was uh, not funny. And this guy turns around and says, yes, I want to receive Christ. I'm just going, oh, this is the Lord. This is the Lord. You know what? This proves that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. That's what it proves. It sure wasn't me. I'll tell you, it wasn't me. He heard the word of God. and God made it alive in his heart. See, you can't tell. Also, I've been through so many things. Thinking, I think this person, oh, they're just really ready. And I preach the gospel to them and uh, nothing. You know, fall on my face, just go and gee, I don't understand that. This other person, I think, no way, man. They are snotty. They are closed. They are 
out of it. It's a waste of time to even approach them, and I'm embarrassed to... And then they open up, and their life is a mess. And they need Jesus so bad that they're ready to jump in his basket as soon as they hear. I can't tell ahead of time unless God reveals it to me. And I found, I don't think he always does that. I mean, he'll say, speak to this one. But I think he wants us to learn to preach the gospel to every creature. Because that's what his word says to do. You don't preach it. If we don't preach it, they don't have a chance. I'm telling you something. We are not here to enjoy ourselves and gather in the binnies of the kingdom. That's not our purpose on the earth. Give me some more blessings. I want more binnies, more benefits. Pile them on. That's not why we're here. We're here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look what he did. Tell them about Jesus. He's their only chance. And I'm just, just lifting this up. I, I'm telling you, it's so encouraging. You know, and the people going to the jail have experienced this. It happens over and over. We think ahead of time, oh, this is going to be so hard. This is going to be such a, an ordeal. This is gonna, oh, to go through this. Oh, I don't have the gift. Don't ever say I don't have the gift. You don't need the gift. There, there is no, you don't need a gift. All you need is Jesus to go with you. And I say, oh, this is going to be hard. And then I get out there, and it's easy. It's wonderful. The Lord's Spirit is there. He does the whole thing. He gives the grace to speak. He gives the grace to open it up. Now, there are many different styles of preaching the gospel. There is with your, your friends and acquaintances, okay, with your people in business. There's wisdom in every situation. There's a timing and then there's people you don't know at all approaching them. Don't get pigeonholed into thinking there's only one way to preach the gospel. But I am telling you this. Sooner or later, you've got to preach it. You've got to say it. You've got to speak the name of Jesus. You've got to tell him what he did. Tell him what he did. He came, he loved you so much. He came and died for you personally. Not just everybody. That's what he did for you. And him doing that, when you believe in him, you receive the door opens up into the arms of God the Father. You're given eternal life. You belong to him when you receive Jesus Christ. Jesus is the door. Now think of it this way. I would preach on this week after week if God showed me to. I'd love to. I'm just going to say it hopefully in a couple of sentences. This world and everything in it, by rights, should be down on our faces, everyone, worshiping God. If his son showed up for a visit, I'm using figurative terms, if his son, the king, the rightful king, came to visit on the earth, he should have crowds flocking around millions and hundreds of millions flocking to see him and praise him. And we're so glad you're here. Say anything to us. We're yours. That's by rights. But you know what the human race did when the king came? You know what the human race did? His own creatures murdered. Now I'm trying to tell you the contrast is in our hearts we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We know the glory of the king. 
We know his glory. Don't get intimidated by the conspiracy against Christ. You're walking with the king. Okay. I don't know if this is a good picture. I, I had this mental image of dangling by a rope out of a helicopter, rescuing people out of the sea. See, I, we walk through this world. I've got my lifeline. I'm saved. I'm secure. I've got my lifeline from, from God. Jesus has got a hold of me. He saved me. He's pulled me out. And now any time I can get lifted up into that helicopter to bring out the picture. But here I am. I'm dangling. I'm trying to reach this one. I'm trying to reach that one. See, I'm safe. You're safe. But there's other people that are going down. They're going down. They haven't got a chance. God's dangling us into this world that others might be saved. We're just dangling here. We've got our lifelines. We're okay. But how about them? Amen. So what I want to tell you is, it's so easy. It's easy. Now, don't look at the people who preach the gospel and say they must be super spiritual. They're not. We're not. You're not. We're all in the same boat. All we've got to do is learn to do what Jesus said. Just open your mouth. Tell somebody about Christ. Be amazed, there might be a harvest just waiting out there. Amen? I just want to ask, if there is anyone here who has yet to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if so, if you haven't yet received him, then the door to heaven, the door to the Almighty God, has not yet been opened to you. Because Jesus said, He is the door. So, I'm just going to ask you, if you're here, you've been hearing the word of God, you know your time has come. God is speaking his truth to you, his reality. Then we want to pray with you. Won't hurt? No. If you're here and you need to receive Jesus Christ this morning, let me see your hand. Just raise your hand while every head is bowed. I just want to know who you are. If you want to receive time for your long wanderings to come to an end. It's time to come home to your Heavenly Father. Your Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And I see your hand if you're ready to come.